You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Kyle Moffat. He is Chief Executive Officer at STEM Cultivation. We're going to talk to you about the world of cannabis, about cultivation, technology. They've done some really interesting things. Kyle is an MIT grad and has taken a very MIT engineer approach to this. And I love his thinking. I love the solution. And I'm really fascinated on kind of where they are, given the state of the cannabis industry and what's been going on and what hasn't been going on in cannabis and really the moves they're making and how they're kind of seeing where they are as a business and the things they need to do and some interesting kind of other things that they're focused on. So excited for this conversation to kind of learn where where they're going and, and the things they're learning. So with all that, Kyle, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. It's great to be here again. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back. So for those that don't remember, give us a little bit of background, how you got into cannabis, this whole kind of approach, like what was the story? And then we can kind of dig into what you're doing today. Yeah, sure. So I started the company uh, STEM Cultivation. I, I started it in uh, 2017 and the original program purpose was to create a solution for commercial cannabis mm-hmm. uh, that would ultimately bring down the cost of production, right? So I saw the market, if you strip away the emotion of the plant, and you just look at it from a kind of a straight commodities market, you could see that over time, it would be a race to the bottom. I know people don't want to talk about that, but that's just the mm-hmm. reality of the situation, right? Is that yeah. when, you're, when you're producing a commercial scale, certainly something of the value that, that cannabis has, you know, you're going to, the winners are going to be the ones that produce the highest quality at the lowest cost. And so seeing that, as, you know, predicting that would be the case, yeah. um, that's what we started the company to do. And so the technology is really was developed and has evolved specifically to create high quality at a low cost at really any scale. So we started that in 2017 and, you know, went out into this, uh, to the market, had some success with some commercial grows, proved out the technology that we were doing and the way we were doing it had merit mm-hmm. and kind of, uh, you know, and then COVID hit, you know, it was a pretty common refrain at this point. <laughs> theme. The bottom drops out of COVID, right? So for me, it was more of a supply chain issue, right? So I had a technology that was, um, you know, I had a a pretty sophisticated CEA type system, integrated system, big box, but a lot of that supply chain was coming from overseas. So COVID really made me kind of step back and say, hey, what am I really trying to do here? Because I can't deliver on a product that's going to take me 10 or 12 months to deliver. So I kind of took a step back and said, what is our core technology? What is our core competency? And, And basically redesigned the product to be much more, much more, first of all, simpler with a simpler supply chain, but yet still had the essence of, of the of the tech and the value therein and kind of relaunched the product and some read the company around a much more scaled down version of what I had originally gone to market with 
And from doing that, it allowed me to kind of open myself up to other markets like, for instance, uh, food production or even home users. And so we've kind of taken a long journey since then. But I think that where we're at right now is the logical progression of what both the realities are of the marketplace for cannabis, as well as where the trend lines are going for non-cannabis plant production. Yeah. And so give us a little more details on on the technology. I mean, I, I, there have been kind of many plays on cultivation systems and you know, whether it's kind of racks and lights and drainage and nutrients and everything. Like, how, how did you approach this? Give us a little insight on kind of what your angle was and what you came to market with originally. Sure. So I'm not a grower. I was not. I mean, I feel like I am now. Um, but when I originally... <laughs> more so. More so than you were. <laughs> I think that you hit the nail on the head. I'm a nerd and uh, really more of it from an engineering standpoint. So when when I first started developing the product, I, you know, I was looking at... I had no bias, right? I didn't care if it was so soil or hydroponics or whether it was horizontal or vertical or LED or HPS lights. I was just looking at efficiency, right? And so, you know, the first thing I thought of, what is the most efficient use of space, right? How much how much material, how much production can I make in, in, in three dimensions, right? So yeah. that that drove me to a, you know, a living wall concept, right? So vertical, but not shelving, but actual walls, because that's, imagine looking at a bookshelf, right? The books are stacked vertically, if you will. And that is very much a, a, a visual that's, you know, related to what we're doing. So there was a space consideration and, and then hydroponics was just a much easier, if you could do it right, it seemed to be a, a much more efficient use of water, uh -huh. as well as it wasn't as messy, or it potentially doesn't have to be as messy as soil. All, all these things always have caveats to them, don't get me wrong. But uh, but hydroponics just seemed like a much more efficient use of water, as well as nutrients. And then finally, what those two considerations drove me to was the final um, aspect of it, which was really the energy. I mean, so yeah. energy is always going to be the big um, impediment when you're growing indoors, Perspective of what you're growing. And mm -hmm. so what we found was, is that using our configuration and there's no magic sauce to it. It's just, it's just, you're making equipment and you're putting plants in a situation and that hopefully will optimize their production. But what we found was, is that in our product, we could really take advantage of the inverse square law. I can't get more geeky than that, but <laughs> just going to say, you're going to explain right. this Here's one. Here's the deal, right? There's a very, they're very specific, you know, a very well understood thing uh, around light intensity yeah. and it's a function of yeah distance. So the closer you are to a light, the more intense it gets. Yeah. The further away you get, the less intense. So what I realized was that, you know, you can put a light super close to a canopy and dim it and you will still get the optimal PPFD or whatever, you know, whatever your measurements are for mm -hmm. photosynthesis at a much lower energy, like exponentially lower energy. Yeah. Um, and so we really started uh, playing with that and trying to find the limits of what's the least amount of energy to get the maximum amount of production. And so we're looking at space savings, water savings, and energy savings all in one product, and then trying to put that in a form factor that conforms to any sort of space, right? Whether you put it in a tent, or you put it in a shipping container, or you put it in a giant room, it doesn't really matter. It's going to be the same principle behind it. Yeah. And and it, I mean, it feels like there's a little bit of this balancing all these factors. It's like, yeah, I can get it close, but then I run into complexities of having to move it on a regular basis. Like, wait, how did you find that balance and where was it and where did you like what was the end kind of benefit of your system versus some of these other cultivation systems? Great question. So the, what we found was, is that actually the way that plants grow in general, if you have them growing as a living wall, you actually can keep the light in the same place. So there's no moving of the light. Oh, interesting. The plants grow parallel to the light. And, you know, without visuals, it, it may be difficult. <laughs> to, I, 
stuff to do on an audio podcast, yeah. But the bottom line is, you, well, we have videos and media online that you can take a look at, but the bottom line is, is that what we found was, is that like, if you don't touch the plants, if you just let plants do their thing, they've had half a billion years to figure this out. So if you just kind of let plants do their thing and give them the right environment, they will do amazing things. For instance, they will self-support. There's no trellising yeah. necessary. There's no stakes necessary. There's no, so they'll just, they'll grow in that way. And so what we found was, is that you can actually put a light without moving it, which means that you can have it dim the whole life cycle of the plant. Yeah. And again, it's just, it's one of those things where anybody can do this. This isn't proprietary. This is just a something that anyone can take advantage of. And I think it really does move the needle on how much resource it actually takes to grow. Yeah. And so, you know, going to market with this, what did you discover? I mean, uh, obviously the cannabis market has developed in, in different ways over the last couple of years. Like what was your experience in actually going to market? What did you learn and what did you have to adjust? Well, you know, cannabis is, uh, isn't, you know, interesting for myriad reasons, but oh, yeah. one of them is that, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's very a uh, grower centric. It's really built around the grower and, and the comfort level of the grower and the expertise of the grower. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of science behind it, but there's a lot of artistry, right? That's just built on experience that these growers have. And so oftentimes what I found was, is that comfort level was really paramount to a grower. And if they're not comfortable with the method you're using, then it's very hard for them to, to take a chance. And, and I yeah. don't blame them, right? Because it's their job to produce, right? Yeah. So they're going to produce the way they know how to, the best way they can. Sure. They don't have a whole lot of time to take a chance on something that looks different or may be different in a lot of aspects. So, you know, it, it was uh, it was one of those things where, you know, all we could do was, was continue to, in the instances we could, to show evidence-based results that showed that you could, in fact, maintain quality, but do it with less. But it's a very, obviously, very competitive market. And a lot of times, frankly, a lot of these commercial growers, again, with cannabis, when they build facilities, that's they made the bet, right? Because they're making yeah. a physical decision, right? And there's nothing, you know, that physical, that building type or that design is going to produce a product at a certain cost. And it can't do much better than that. They've already made the bet. So a lot of these places had already kind of invested in a specific physical way of growing. It's very difficult to replace that. Yeah. Right? Let's, let's yeah, kind of retrofit so, so it's yeah. been a, it's, it's been a, um, it was a little bit of a challenge, but we're still out there plugging away. And we think that as the market change is happening, you know, that we're seeing where, where it's, yes, it is a race to the bottom. You're trying to find what is the lowest cost to make the highest quality product. We yeah. think that, the, you know, that's never going to stop. So we're hoping that based on our track record and our continued success, that eventually the market will look at this and say, look, the way we've been doing it isn't working, right? If it were working, then people wouldn't be going out of business like they are. So yeah. maybe there needs to be a thought towards a different approach. And so we're always prepared for that moment. Yeah. And what, I mean, I guess, where did you see traction, you know, early and where have you see traction, you know, later in terms of the different states and kind of dynamics and like what, what are the, I guess, industry or, or local environment and local, you know, kind of state level dynamics that are driving your attraction and, and what are you noticing, I guess, on a state level? Yeah. So it's always been, we've always followed kind of the, the wholesale price in each market, right? So what do I mean by that? Is that in the early days, you know, 2017, 2018, I live in Massachusetts. We were just then coming online and the wholesale prices were ridiculous. $3,000, $4,000 a pound, something yeah, you know, no. completely untenable, but there's very little incentive to innovate or to take a chance on, on a new type of product when as a grower, as a, 
as a producer, you know that you can get $3,000 a pound the way you're doing it right now. And so we had to go out west, which was, were much more mature markets because the the you're talking about $2,000 a pound, $1,500 a pound, right? Yet the quality needs to remain. So we kind of started out west and then, you know, then went to like Oklahoma, which kind of was is an anomaly because they're new, but they the way they rolled out to market was such that, you know, the wholesale price collapsed pretty quickly <laughs> relative yeah. to other markets where um, just because there were so many growers right out of the gate, but it was it was super competitive. So we did some work there. And now going back to Massachusetts, finally, Massachusetts is one of these <laughs> old timer states now and their wholesale prices have come down considerably. So now we're starting to hear from people more in my backyard. But again, it's always because of the of the economics of the situation, right? So now we are seeing places like Massachusetts that are seeing, uh, you know, that, that are having having some shakeout within the marketplace of people that um, have early growers that didn't, you know, that aren't profitable now or struggling. Yeah. Finally, there's, okay, maybe there's something else we need to look at here in order to survive. Yeah. Well, and so I guess give me a sense of where you are now in terms of the market and where you're seeing opportunities. I mean, now you're looking at some non-cannabis solutions. How did that come up? Why, you know, how is that kind of part of the plan? Where do you see your business going? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, you, you start with cannabis because there's a, there's a profit motive there, right? You know, obviously there's a, it's a very viable plant and there, there's a huge demand for it. So innovation around plant manufacturing, if you will, right? You know, cannabis was a logical place to start. However, cannabis is also a great proving ground for any sort of growing tech because it's a big plant and it takes a lot of light and a lot of water and a lot of nutrients. I mean, it's not, it's not microgreens. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a big old plant. And so if you're developing systems to optimize a big plant, well, basically you're not far away from other big plants other than cannabis. And now you're starting to talk about gardens. Now you're talking about food where people, and again, you know, hydroponics is hydroponics is hydroponics that you put the the input is the only thing that changes. So, you know, we looked around and we said, hey, you know, we've got this technology here and I know it can grow big plants really well for pretty low cost, relatively speaking. So what else can we do here? And lo and behold, maybe COVID was a, was a problem for my supply chain, but COVID also, I think, spurred a new movement um, towards consumer, you know, consumers wanting more control over what they consume. <laughs> um, yeah. And whether that's cannabis or food stuff, people, want more and more. They want to know the provenance of what they're putting in their body. And so it was a very easy and logical, call it pivot or just an expansion of our of our market reach to be able to support these people potentially. Yeah. Now, and what have you learned? I mean, I guess, what have you seen interesting traction and how is it similar or different than the cannabis side? <laughs> Great question. So the biggest difference between B2B commercial cannabis and B2C home use would be that the economic calculus is a little different. Different, right. If you're commercial, then bottom line's the bottom line, right? You've got to, you know, you've got to make high quality product for the least cost, right? But a home user, yeah, that's still a consideration. But there are certain segments of the marketplace. They're like, I'll pay a little extra to know where my food came from. <laughs> I will pay a little extra to have a higher quality product that I'm consuming, right? Whatever it may be. And yeah. so it's not so much cost savings, although that does is a consideration when you're talking about consumers. It's really quality and trust. Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting. Like how much? Like what 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 amount of premium do you are you feeling like there is an opportunity there on the market? Well, I think that, you know, it's it still has to be a reasonable payback. You still have to be, you know, it's basically when I'm looking at it and saying, who, you know, if I'm looking at food, for instance, yeah. am I competing against a grocery store? Probably not. Am I competing against farmers markets? Maybe. Mm, right? Yeah. Because that's a much more, you know, that's a much more equal, you know, apples to apples type comparison if you will. Yeah. And then it also just that that freedom, that this idea of self-sufficiency and, you know, depending on who you're talking to, some people will pay more than you would think yeah. for that peace of mind. And so we have to be careful about pricing out a big segment of the marketplace because, you know, there's a food security issue too. And that's a different economics. That's more of a, if you're talking about food security, you're talking about people that probably don't have the means to have fresh food all the time. Yeah, yeah. And so you have to be, that's a much more kind of commercial type economic consideration, right? It still has to be very low cost. But then there's segments of the market that are a little more on the premium side, a little higher end where they're yeah. like, no, I need a pro- I need a technology that will allow me to feel better about what I'm putting on myself. Yeah. Yeah. I can kind of see the strategy canvas <laughs> in terms of like which customers want which attributes and which ones are really kind of driving premium or, or highly differentiated offerings and, and which ones don't. I guess where do you like, I'm curious on the technology side, as you've seen these new kind of opportunities or slightly different use cases and, and customer segments. I mean, I know you know, generally the solution is highly scalable, but like what practically, as you've looked at these new markets, what have you had to kind of adjust in terms of either, you know, the technology or configuration or how you're kind of packaging these things? Like what's, what have you had to kind of shift from a kind of product strategy and kind of operational point of view? Fantastic question. So this has been a year of on the making in terms of thinking about that exact question, yeah. <laughs> Bruce. So the biggest thing that, that we had to think about was, okay, so you scale down the technology physically. That's not a big deal. Okay. But the question becomes, how easy is it to use? How easy is it to set up? Who am I going after in terms of sophistication or, or comfort level with growing? Right. And so the first thing that I had to think about was, well, am I trying to entice people who haven't gardened to start doing it? Yeah. Right. Or am I looking at people who already garden and just don't have a capability that I might be able to provide? Mm-hmm. Right. And so w- the, the differences are, are stark in the sense that of what direction that your product is going to go in. There are lots of products. If we talk about food, for instance, there are lots of products in the marketplace that are smaller scale that sit in your kitchen that grow small plants and they are meant for people that probably don't have a lot of experience. They're app controlled. There's some automation involved. They're trying to make it foolproof. I didn't go in that direction. I have a product that is simple, but you need to be, you need to know, have some idea of what you're doing because it's more of a utility than it is. I won't say gadget that's, but, but it's meant to grow food or it's meant to grow cannabis. And so that means that you have, it's not something where you can just push a button and voila, it all magically happens. So, and, and also I'm doing that because I want to simplify how people go about this process, right? I don't need them to do an app or something like this, but it's also self-selecting. You know, I'm not trying to go after people that would find that valuable. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to find the people that have an objective and they are looking for a way to achieve that objective either more often or for for a lower cost or, or what have you. Yeah. And what have the kind of sales strategies, sales channels look like? I mean, are you going direct to these folks? Or are you going through channels or various advertising that's working? I mean, how are you reaching these? Yeah. So um, uh, all of the above. Um, but I think that the, I, you know, we're really, I'm, I'm really focusing at least initially again on the consumer side, which is kind of new to me, is I'm trying to find the influencers. I'm trying to find the people. They're 
there's, I mean, one thing about, about home users, again, irrespective of what you're growing, whether it's cannabis or anything else, there are so many resources online. It's such a robust community, very supportive of one another. And there are lots of people that influencers and, and, and whatnot that can really make the difference. So I'm going out and making concerted effort to try to build my network around people that cater to this type of audience that I'm going after and as, as well as online you know, marketing and things like that. But I really, what I've seen is that people trust people. They don't yeah. trust vendors, they trust people. So if people say, hey, this thing works or I've had success with it, that's going to be hundred times more effective than me putting out a, an ad that says the same exact thing. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I guess what's your overall take of cannabis at this point? I mean, you've, you've been doing this for a little while, we've kind of been through a couple of cycles of this cannabis industry, like we still haven't gotten federal legalization passed. We're still struggling with safe banking. I mean, are you bullish? Are you cautiously optimistic? Are you done with it? Like, like what's your thought on cannabis at this point? It depends on what day you ask. Me. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, I tell you, I look at, I look at the reality and what's the reality. The reality is, is that pretty much every market that has been online for more than two or three years is really struggling with meaning that that the the supply demand you know curve has not been figured out or people are not basically there is a, a phase one we're, we're kind of getting out of the the phase one era the phase one era being here's a bunch of money there's yeah. no way you can lose yeah just get it out there and then you know of course that become the reality sinks in later on it's like so you know I look at it and say if people were doing it the right way we wouldn't see this kind of market collapse in so many different states right and, yeah. and in Canada even right mm-hmm. Demand's never going away. That's never going to be the problem. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be supply, in my opinion. And so, you know, I think that if and until the market dynamics require the suppliers or the entire supply chain to reimagine what it is that they're trying to do that actually is economically viable, we're going to continue to see a lot of just bad news. Not from a consumer standpoint, <laughs> they can't give it away because this is a buyer's <laughs> market. For, you know, you can't believe it, right? But, yeah. but for the people, supplying it, there's got to be a different way. or Otherwise, we're just going to continue seeing the same things over and over. And my evidence of that is every time I see, you know, somebody going under or, you know, huge assets being written off or or whatever, it's basically just says, listen, the, the, they haven't figured out their supply side yet. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So what's, I guess, what's next for you? Anything uh, kind of in the pipeline on your strategic map that you're looking for, forward to? What's your hope for the next uh, couple months, couple quarters? Yeah. My, well, I'm really excited about, you know, we're, we're releasing we basically are releasing a, this uh, a brand new consumer product, and, uh, and I'm really excited. We, we've been doing a lot of research on on plant types, and you know I have yet to find a plant that you can grow outdoors that you can't grow on my system indoors, and that includes you know heirloom tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers. We're growing watermelons now. Um, we're doing <laughs> yeah. you know, just just because why not? Yeah. Right? And, yeah. And, and so I'm really excited with the idea. And the more I talk to people and going out there in the marketplace and asking you know consumers. Like, do you garden? If you garden, what do you do during the off season? Right? Oh, nothing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think I have something for you. <laughs> you yeah. know, so I'm very optimistic that there is a need for the type of innovation that we've come up with and the type of results that we've been able to achieve, whether it was commercial.
commercial or consumer, it doesn't really matter because plants are plants. And and I think that's what we're trying to, to demonstrate and to okay. prove to people is that, hey, there is innovation out there. It's not for the sake of it. It's because it is trying to take concepts that are well understood and put them together in a way that gives maximum benefit to the user, uh, irrespective of what scale they're at. Yeah, yeah. No, it's exciting stuff. Kyle, it's been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Sure. So um, www.stemcultivation.com. That's uh, STEM, like science, technology, engineering, math, uh, cultivation.com. We're also uh, very active in Instagram. So we're at STEM Cultivation on Instagram. You can see a lot of our videos and, and, and media around both cannabis and food production in our systems. And you can follow me on LinkedIn as well. Um, I'm Kyle, K-Y-L-E, Moffitt, M-O-F-F-I-T-T. Um, and between all of those, you probably have a pretty good idea of what we're doing. Sounds great. I'll make sure all the information and handles and links and everything are on the show notes. Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Bruce, thank you as always. You, you always you're doing a great job. I, I love what you're doing, man. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.